This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chet Chris, London, UK. The Triumphs of Eugene Valmont by Robert Barr. Chapter 5 The Absent Minded Coterie, Part 2. I took a cab to the foot of Tottenham Court Road, and walked up that street till I came to J. Simpson's old curiosity shop. After gazing at the well-filled windows for some time, I stepped aside, having selected a little iron crucifix displayed behind the pane, the work of some ancient craftsman. I knew at once from Podger's description that I was waited upon by the veritable respectable clerk who brought the bag of money each night to Park Lane, and who I was certain was no other than Ralph Summertrees himself. There was nothing in his manner differing from that of any other quiet salesman. The price of the crucifix proved to be seven and six, and I threw down a sovereign to pay for it. "'Do you mind the change being all in silver, sir?' he asked, and I answered without any eagerness, although the questioner roused a suspicion that had begun to be allayed, "'Not in the least.' He gave me a half-crown, three two-shilling pieces, and four separate shillings, all the coins being well-worn silver of the realm, the undoubted inartistic product of the reputable British mint. This seemed to dispose of the theory that he was palming off illegitimate money. He asked me if I were interested in any particular branch of antiquity, and I replied that my curiosity was merely general, and exceedingly amateurish, whereupon he invited me to look around. This I proceeded to do, while he resumed the addressing and stamping of some wrapped-up pamphlets which I surmised to be copies of his catalogue. He made no attempt either to watch me, or to press his wares upon me. I selected at random a little ink-stand, and asked its price. It was two shillings, he said, whereupon I produced my fraudulent five-shilling piece. He took it, gave me the change without comment, and the last doubt about his connection with coiners flickered from my mind. At this moment a young man came in, who I saw at once was not a customer. He walked briskly to the farther end of the shop, and disappeared behind a partition which had one pane of glass in it that gave an outlook toward the front door. "'Excuse me a moment,' said the shopkeeper, and he followed the young man into the private office. As I examined the curious, heterogeneous collection of things for sale, I heard the clink of coins being poured out on the lid of a desk or an uncovered table, and the murmur of voices floated out to me. I was now near the entrance of the shop, and by a sleight-of-hand trick keeping the corner of my eye on the glass pane of the private office, I removed the key of the front door without a sound, and took an impression of it in wax, returning the key to its place unobserved. At this moment another young man came in, and walked straight past me into the private office. I heard him say, "'Oh, I beg pardon, Mr. Simpson. How are you, Rogers?' "'Hello, Macpherson,' saluted Rogers, who then came out, bidding good-night to Mr. Simpson, and departed whistling down the street but not before he had repeated his phrase to another young man entering, to whom he gave the name of Tyrell. I noted these three names in my mind. Two others came in together, 
but I was compelled to content myself with memorising their features, for I did not learn their names. These men were evidently collectors, for I heard the rattle of money in every case. Yet here was a small shop doing apparently very little business, for I had been within it for more than half an hour, and yet remained the only customer. If credit were given, one collector would certainly have been sufficient, yet five had come in, and had poured their contributions into the pile Summertrees was to take home with him that night. I determined to secure one of the pamphlets which the man had been addressing. They were piled on a shelf behind the counter, but I had no difficulty in reaching across and taking the one on top, which I slipped into my pocket. When the fifth young man went down the street, Summertrees himself emerged, and this time he carried in his hand the well-filled locked leather satchel, with the straps dangling. It was now approaching half-past five, and I saw he was eager to close up and get away. "'Anything else you fancy, sir?' he asked me. "'No, or rather yes and no. You have a very interesting collection here, but it's getting so dark I can hardly see. I close at half-past five, sir.' "'Ah, in that case,' I said, consulting my watch, "'I shall be pleased to call some other time.' "'Thank you, sir,' replied Summertrees quietly, and with that I took my leave.' From the corner of an alley on the other side of the street, I saw him put up the shutters with his own hands. Then he emerged with overcoat on and the money satchel slung across his shoulder. He locked the door, tested it with his knuckles, and walked down the street carrying under one arm the pamphlets he had been addressing. I followed him some distance, saw him drop the pamphlets into the box at the first post office he passed, and walk rapidly towards his house in Park Lane. When I returned to my flat, and called in my assistant, he said, "'After putting to one side the regular advertisements of pills, soap, and what not, here is the only one common to all the newspapers, morning and evening alike. The advertisements are not identical, sir, but they have two points of similarity, or perhaps I should say three. They all profess to furnish a cure for absent-mindedness. They all ask that the applicant's chief hobby shall be stated.' and they all bear the same address, Dr. Willoughby, in Tottenham Court Road. Thank you, said I, as he placed the scissored advertisements before me. I read several of the announcements. They were all small, and perhaps that is why I had never noticed one of them in the newspapers, for certainly they were odd enough. Some asked for lists of absent-minded men, with the hobbies of each, and for these lists... Prizes of from one shilling to six were offered. In other clippings, Dr. Willoughby professed to be able to cure absent-mindedness. There were no fees and no treatment, but a pamphlet would be sent, which, if it did not benefit the receiver, could do no harm. The doctor was unable to meet patients personally, nor could he enter into correspondence with them. The address was the same as that of the old curiosity shop in Tottenham Court Road. At this juncture, I pulled the pamphlet from my pocket, and saw it was entitled, Christian Science and Absent-Mindedness, by Dr. Stamford Willoughby. And at the end of the article was the statement contained in the advertisements, that Dr. Willoughby would neither see patients, nor hold any correspondence with them. I drew a sheet of paper towards me, wrote to Dr. Willoughby, alleging that I was a very absent-minded man, and would be glad of his pamphlet, adding that my special hobby was the collecting of first editions.
I then signed myself, Allport Webster, Imperial Flats, London, W. I may here explain that it is often necessary for me to see people under some other name than the well-known appellation of Eugene Valmont. There are two doors to my flat, and on one of these is painted Eugene Valmont. On the other there is a receptacle in which can be slipped a sliding panel bearing any nom de guerre I choose. The same device is arranged on the ground floor, where the names of all the occupants of the building appear on the right-hand wall. I sealed, addressed, and stamped my letter, then told my man to put out the name of Allport Webster, and if I did not happen to be in when anyone called upon that mythical person, he was to make an appointment for me. It was nearly six o'clock next afternoon when the card of Angus Macpherson was brought in to Mr. Allport Webster. I recognised the young man at once as the second who had entered the little shop carrying his tribute to Mr. Simpson the day before. He held three volumes under his arm and spoke in such a pleasant insinuating sort of way that I knew at once he was an adept in his profession of canvasser. "'Will you be seated, Mr. Macpherson? In what can I serve you?' He placed the three volumes backs upward on my table. "'Are you interested at all in first editions, Mr. Webster?' "'It is the one thing I am interested in,' I replied, "'but unfortunately they often run into a lot of money.' "'That is true,' said Macpherson sympathetically. "'And I have here three books, one of which is an exemplification of what you say. "'This one costs a hundred pounds.' The last copy that was sold by auction in London brought a hundred and twenty-three pounds. This next one is forty pounds, and the third ten pounds. At these prices I am certain you could not duplicate three such treasures in any bookshop in Britain. I examined them critically and saw at once that what he said was true. He was still standing on the opposite side of the table. Please take a chair, Mr. Macpherson. "'Do you mean to say you go round London with a hundred and fifty pounds worth of goods under your arm in this careless way?' The young man laughed. "'I run very little risk, Mr. Webster. I don't suppose anyone I meet imagines for a moment there is more under my arm than perhaps a trio of volumes I have picked up in the fourpenny box to take home with me.' I lingered over the volume for which he asked a hundred pounds, and then said, looking across at him, "'How came you to be possessed of this book, for instance?' He turned upon me a fine, open countenance, and answered without hesitation in the frankest possible manner, "'I am not in actual possession of it, Mr. Webster. I am by way of being a connoisseur in rare and valuable books myself, although, of course, I have little money with which to indulge in the collection of them. I am acquainted, however, with the lovers of desirable books in different quarters of London. These three volumes, for instance, are from the library of a private gentleman in the West End.' I have sold many books to him, and he knows I am trustworthy. He wishes to dispose of them at something under their real value, and has kindly allowed me to conduct the negotiation. I make it my business to find out those who are interested in rare books, and by such trading I add considerably to my income. How, for instance, did you learn that I was a bibliophile? Mr. Macpherson laughed genially. Well, Mr. Webster, I must confess that I chanced it. I do that very often. I take a flat like this and send in my card to the name on the door. If I am invited in, I ask the occupant the question I asked you just now. 
"'Are you interested in rare editions? "'If he says no, I simply beg pardon and retire. "'If he says yes, then I show my wares.' "'I see,' said I, nodding. "'What a glib young liar he was, with that innocent face of his, "'and yet my next question brought forth the truth. "'As this is the first time you have called upon me, Mr. Macpherson, "'you have no objection to my making some further inquiry, I suppose?' "'Would you mind telling me the name of the owner of these books in the West End? "'His name is Mr. Ralph Summertrees, of Park Lane.' "'Of Park Lane? Ah, indeed. "'I shall be glad to leave the books with you, Mr. Webster, "'and if you care to make an appointment with Mr. Summertrees, "'I am sure he will not object to say a word in my favour. "'Oh, I do not in the least doubt it, "'and should not think of troubling the gentleman. "'I was going to tell you,' went on the young man, "'that I have a friend.' "'a capitalist, who in a way is my supporter, "'for, as I said, I have little money of my own. "'I find it is often inconvenient for people to pay down any considerable sum. "'When, however, I strike a bargain, "'my capitalist buys the book, "'and I make an arrangement with my customer "'to pay a certain amount each week, "'and so even a large purchase is not felt, "'as I make the instalments small enough to suit my client.' "'You are employed during the day, I take it. "'Yes, I am a clerk in the city. "'Again we were in the blissful realms of fiction. "'Suppose I take this book at ten pounds. "'What instalment should I have to pay each week?' "'Oh, what you like, sir. "'Would five shillings be too much?' "'I think not. "'Very well, sir. "'If you pay me five shillings now, "'I will leave the book with you, "'and shall have pleasure in calling this day week "'for the next instalment. I put my hand into my pocket and drew out two half-crowns, which I passed over to him. Do I need to sign any form or undertaking to pay the rest? The young man laughed cordially. Oh, no, sir, there is no formality necessary. You see, sir, this is largely a labour of love with me, although I don't deny I have my eye on the future. I am getting together what I hope will be a very valuable connection with gentlemen like yourself who are fond of books— "'and I trust some day that I may be able to resign my place with the insurance company "'and set up a choice little business of my own, "'where my knowledge of values in literature will prove useful.' "'And then, after making a note in a little book he took from his pocket, "'he bade me a most graceful good-bye and departed, "'leaving me cogitating over what it all meant. "'Next morning two articles were handed to me. The first came by post, and was a pamphlet on Christian science and absent-mindedness, exactly similar to the one I had taken away from the old curiosity shop. The second was a small key, made from my wax impression that would fit the front door of the same shop, a key fashioned by an excellent anarchist friend of mine in an obscure street near Hoban. That night at ten o'clock I was inside the old curiosity shop, with a small storage battery in my pocket, "'and a little electric glow-lamp at my buttonhole, "'a most useful instrument for either burglar or detective. "'I had expected to find the books of the establishment in a safe, "'which, if it was similar to the one in Park Lane, "'I was prepared to open with the false keys in my possession, "'or to take an impression of the keyhole "'and trust to my anarchist friend for the rest. "'But to my amazement I discovered all the papers "'pertaining to the concern in a desk which was not even locked. The books, three in number, were the ordinary day-book, journal, and ledger, referring to the shop. 
bookkeeping of the older fashion, but in a portfolio lay half a dozen foolscap sheets headed Mr. Rogers' List, Mr. McPherson's, Mr. Tyrrell's, the names I had already learned, and three others. These lists contained in the first column names, in the second column addresses, in the third sums of money, and then in the small square places following were amounts ranging from two and sixpence to a pound. At the bottom of Mr. McPherson's list was the name Allport Webster, Imperial Flats, L10. Then, in the small square place, five shillings. These six sheets, each headed by a canvasser's name, were evidently the record of current collections, and the innocence of the whole thing was so apparent that if it were not for my fixed rule never to believe that I am at the bottom of any case until I have come on something suspicious, I would have gone out empty-handed as I came in. The six sheets were loose in a thin portfolio, but standing on a shelf above the desk were a number of fat volumes, one of which I took down, and saw that it contained similar lists running back several years. I noticed on Mr. Macpherson's current list the name of Lord Semptum, an eccentric old nobleman whom I knew slightly. Then, turning to the list immediately before the current one, the name was still there. I traced it back through list after list until I found the first entry, which was no less than three years previous, and there Lord Semptum was down for a piece of furniture costing fifty pounds, and on that account he had paid a pound a week for more than three years, totalling a hundred and seventy pounds at the least, and instantly the glorious simplicity of the scheme dawned upon me, and I became so interested in the swindle that I lit the gas, fearing my little lamp would be exhausted before my investigation ended, for it promised to be a long one. In several instances the intended victim proved shrewder than O. Simpson had counted upon, and the word settled had been written on the line carrying the name when the exact number of instalments was paid. But as the shrewd persons dropped out, others took their places, and Simpson's dependence on their absent-mindedness seemed to be justified in nine cases out of ten. His collectors were collecting long after the debt had been paid. In Lord Semptum's case the payment had evidently become chronic, and the old man was giving away his pound a week to the suave Macpherson two years after his debt had been liquidated. From the big volume I detached the loose leaf dated 1893, which recorded Lord Semptum's purchase of a carved table for fifty pounds, and on which he had been paying a pound a week from that time to the date of which I am writing, which was November 1896. This single document, taken from the file of three years previous, was not likely to be missed, as would have been the case if I had selected a current sheet. I nevertheless made a copy of the names and addresses of Macpherson's present clients. Then, carefully placing everything exactly as I had found it, I extinguished the gas, and went out of the shop, locking the door behind me. With the 1893 sheet in my pocket, I resolved to prepare a pleasant little surprise for my suave friend Macpherson, when he called to get his next instalment of five shillings. Late as was the hour when I reached Trafalgar Square, I could not deprive myself of the felicity of calling on Mr. Spencer Hale, who I knew was then on duty. He never appeared at his best during office hours, because officialism stiffened his stalwart frame. Mentally, 
he was impressed with the importance of his position, and added to this he was not then allowed to smoke his big black pipe and terrible tobacco. He received me with the curtness I had been taught to expect when I inflicted myself upon him at his office. He greeted me abruptly with, "'I say, Valmont, how long do you expect to be on this job?' "'What job?' I asked mildly. "'Oh, you know what I mean, the Summertrees affair.' "'Oh, that!' I exclaimed with surprise. "'The Summertrees case is already completed, of course. "'If I had known you were in a hurry, I should have finished up everything yesterday.' "'but as you and Podgers, and I don't know how many more, "'have been at it sixteen or seventeen days, if not longer, "'I thought I might venture to take as many hours, "'as I am working entirely alone. "'You said nothing about haste, you know.' "'Oh, come now, Valmont, that's a bit thick. "'Do you mean to say you've already got evidence against the man?' "'Evidence absolute and complete. "'Then who are the coiners?' "'My most estimable friend.' "'How often have I told you not to jump at conclusions? "'I informed you when you first spoke to me about the matter "'that Summertrees was neither a coiner nor a confederate of coiners. "'I secured evidence sufficient to convict him of quite another offence, "'which is probably unique in the annals of crime. "'I have penetrated the mystery of the shop "'and discovered the reason for all those suspicious actions "'which quite properly set you on his trail.' "'Now I wish you to come to my flat next Wednesday night at a quarter to six, prepared to make an arrest. "'I must know who I am to arrest, and on what counts. "'Quite so, mon ami, Hale. "'I did not say you were to make an arrest, but merely warned you to be prepared. "'If you have time now to listen to the disclosures, I am quite at your service. "'I promise you there are some original features in the case. "'If, however, the present moment is inopportune, "'Drop in on me at your convenience, previously telephoning, "'so that you may know whether I am there or not, "'and thus your valuable time will not be expended purposelessly.' "'With this I presented to him my most courteous bow, "'and although his mystified expression hinted a suspicion "'that he thought I was chaffing him, as he would call it, "'official dignity dissolved somewhat, "'and he intimated his desire to hear all about it then and there.' I had succeeded in arousing my friend Hale's curiosity. He listened to the evidence with perplexed brow, and at last ejaculated he would be blessed. "'This young man,' I said in conclusion, "'will call upon me at six on Wednesday afternoon "'to receive his second five shillings. "'I propose that you, in your uniform, "'shall be seated there with me to receive him. "'And I am anxious to study Mr. Macpherson's countenance,' "'when he realises he has walked in to confront a policeman. "'If you will then allow me to cross-examine him for a few moments, "'not after the manner of Scotland Yard, "'with a warning lest he incriminate himself, "'but in the free and easy fashion we adopt in Paris, "'I shall afterwards turn the case over to you "'to be dealt with at your discretion. "'You have a wonderful flow of language, Monsieur Valmont,' "'was the officer's tribute to me. "'I shall be on hand at a quarter to six on Wednesday.' "'Meanwhile,' said I, "'kindly say nothing of this to anyone. "'We must arrange a complete surprise for Macpherson. "'That is essential. "'Please make no move in the matter at all until Wednesday night.' "'Spencer Hale, much impressed, nodded acquiescence, "'and I took a polite leave of him. "'The question of lighting is an important one in a room such as mine, "'and electricity offers a good deal of scope to the ingenious.' 
Of this fact I have taken full advantage. I can manipulate the lighting of my room so that any particular spot is bathed in brilliancy, while the rest of the space remains in comparative gloom, and I arranged the lamps so that the full force of their rays impinged against the door that Wednesday evening, while I sat on one side of the table in semi-darkness, and Hale sat on the other, with a light beating down on him from above which gave him the odd sculptured look of a living statue of justice, stern and triumphant. Anyone entering the room would first be dazzled by the light, and next would see the gigantic form of Hale in the full uniform of his order. When Angus Macpherson was shown into this room, he was quite visibly taken aback, and paused abruptly on the threshold, his gaze riveted on the huge policeman. I think his first purpose was to turn and run, but the door closed behind him, and he doubtless heard, as we all did, the sound of the bolt being thrust in its place, thus locking him in. Uh, I, "'I beg your pardon,' he stammered. "'I expected to meet Mr. Webster.' As he said this, I pressed the button under my table, and was instantly enshrouded with light. A sickly smile overspread the countenance of Macpherson as he caught sight of me, and he made a very creditable attempt to carry off the situation with nonchalance. "'Oh, there you are, Mr. Webster. I did not notice you at first. It was a tense moment. I spoke slowly and impressively. "'Sir, perhaps you are not unacquainted with the name of Eugene Valmont?' He replied brazenly, "'I'm sorry to say, sir, I had never heard of the gentleman before.' At this came a most inopportune haw-haw from that blockhead Spencer Hale, completely spoiling the dramatic situation I had elaborated with such thought and care. It is little wonder the English possess no drama, for they show scant appreciation of the sensational moments in life. Ha <laughs> ha! brayed Spencer Hale, and at once reduced the emotional atmosphere to a fog of commonplace. However, what is a man to do? He must handle the tools with which it pleases Providence to provide him. I ignored Hale's untimely laughter. "'Sit down, sir,' I said to Macpherson, and he obeyed. "'You have called on Lord Semptum this week,' I continued sternly. "'Yes, sir, and collected a pound from him.' "'Yes, sir. In October 1893 you sold Lord Semptum a carved antique table for fifty pounds?' "'Quite right, sir.' "'When you were here last week, you gave me Ralph Summertrees as the name of a gentleman living in Park Lane. "'You knew at the time that this man was your employer?' "'Macpherson was now looking fixedly at me, and on this occasion made no reply. "'I went on calmly. "'You also knew that Summertrees of Park Lane was identical with Simpson of Tottenham Court Road?' "'Well, sir,' said Macpherson, "'I don't exactly see what you're driving at.' "'but it's quite usual for a man to carry on a business under an assumed name. "'There's nothing illegal about that. "'We will come to the illegality in a moment, Mr. Macpherson. "'You and Rogers and Tyrrell and three others are confederates of this man Simpson?' "'We are in his employ. "'Yes, sir, but no more confederates than clerks usually are. "'I think, Mr. Macpherson, I have said enough to show you that the game is what you call up.' "'You are now in the presence of Mr. Spencer Hale from Scotland Yard, "'who is waiting to hear your confession.' "'Here the stupid Hale broke in with his, "'And remember, sir, that anything you say will—' "'Excuse me, Mr. Hale,' 
I interrupted hastily. "'I shall turn over the case to you in a very few moments. "'But I ask you to remember our compact, "'and to leave it for the present entirely in my hands. "'Now, Mr. Macpherson, I want your confession, and I want it at once.' "'Confession? Confederates?' protested Macpherson, "'with admirably simulated surprise. "'I must say you use extraordinary terms, Mr. Mr. "'What did you say the name was?' "'Ho, ho, ho!' roared Hale. "'His name is Monsieur Valmont. "'I implore you, Mr. Hale, to leave this man to me for a very few moments. "'Now, Macpherson, what have you to say in your defence? "'Where nothing criminal has been alleged, Monsieur Valmont, "'I see no necessity for defence. "'If you wish me to admit that somehow you have acquired a number of details regarding our business, "'I am perfectly willing to do so and to subscribe to their accuracy.' "'If you will be good enough to let me know of what you complain, "'I shall endeavour to make the point clear to you if I can. "'There has evidently been some misapprehension, "'but for the life of me, without further explanation, "'I am as much in a fog as I was on my way coming here, "'for it is getting a little thick outside.' "'Macpherson certainly was conducting himself with great discretion, "'and presented, quite unconsciously, "'a much more diplomatic figure than my friend Spencer Hale, "'sitting stiffly opposite me.' His tone was one of mild expostulation, mitigated by the intimation that all misunderstanding speedily would be cleared away. To outward view he offered a perfect picture of innocence, neither protesting too much nor too little. I had, however, another surprise in store for him. A trump card, as it were, and I played it down on the table. "'There!' I cried with vim. "'Have you ever seen that sheet before?' He glanced at it, without offering to take it in his hand. "'Oh, yes,' he said, "'that's been abstracted from our file. "'It is what I call my visiting list.' "'Come, come, sir,' I cried sternly. "'You refuse to confess, but I warn you we know all about it. "'You never heard of Dr. Willoughby, I suppose?' "'Yes, he's the author of the silly pamphlet on Christian science. "'You are in the right, Mr. Macpherson, "'on Christian science and absent-mindedness.' "'Possibly,' "'I haven't read it for a long while. "'Have you ever met this learned doctor, Mr. Macpherson?' "'Oh, yes. Dr. Willoughby is the pen-name of Mr. Summertrees. "'He believes in Christian science and that sort of thing, and writes about it.' "'Ah, really. We are getting your confession bit by bit, Mr. Macpherson. "'I think it would be better to be quite frank with us.' "'I was just going to make the same suggestion to you, Monsieur Valmont.' "'If you will tell me in a few words exactly what is your charge "'against either Mr. Summertrees or myself, "'I will know then what to say. "'We charge you, sir, with obtaining money under false pretences, "'which is a crime that has landed more than one distinguished financier in prison.' "'Spencer Hale shook his fat forefinger at me and said, "'Tut, tut, Valmont, we mustn't threaten. "'We mustn't threaten, you know.' "'But I went on without heeding him. "'Take, for instance, Lord Semptum.' "'You sold him a table for fifty pounds on the instalment plan. "'He was to pay a pound a week, and in less than a year the debt was liquidated. "'But he's an absent-minded man, as all your clients are. "'That is why you came to me. "'I had answered the bogus Willoughby's advertisement, "'and so you kept on collecting and collecting for something more than three years. "'Now do you understand the charge?' "'Mr. Macpherson's head during this accusation was held slightly inclined to one side. "'At first his face was clouded by the most clever imitation of anxious concentration of mind I had ever seen. 
and this was gradually cleared away by the dawn of awakening perception. When I had finished, an ingratiating smile hovered about his lips. "'Really, you know,' he said, "'that is rather a capital scheme. "'The absent-minded league, as one might call them. "'Most ingenious. "'Summertrees, if he had any sense of humour, which he hasn't, "'would be rather taken by the idea that his innocent fad for Christian science "'had led him to be suspected of obtaining money under false pretences. "'But really, there are no pretensions about the matter at all. "'As I understand it, I simply call and receive the money "'through the forgetfulness of the persons on my list. "'But where I think you would have both Summertrees and myself, "'if there was anything in your audacious theory, "'would be an indictment for conspiracy.' "'Still, I quite see how the mistake arises. "'You have jumped to the conclusion that we sold nothing to Lord Sempton "'except that carved table three years ago. "'I have pleasure in pointing out to you "'that his lordship is a frequent customer of ours, "'and has had many things from us at one time or another. "'Sometimes he's in our debt, sometimes we are in his. "'We keep a sort of running contract with him "'by which he pays us a pound a week.' "'He and several other customers deal on the same plan, "'and in return for an income that we can count upon, "'they get the first offer of anything in which they are supposed to be interested. "'As I have told you, we call these sheets in the office our visiting lists, "'but to make the visiting lists complete, "'you need what we term our encyclopaedia. "'We call it that because it is in so many volumes, "'a volume for each year, running back I don't know how long. "'You will notice little figures here from time to time "'above the amount stated on this visiting list. "'These figures refer to the page of the encyclopaedia for the current year, "'and on that page is noted the new sale, and the amount of it, "'as might be set down, say, in a ledger. "'That is a very entertaining explanation, Mr. Macpherson. "'I suppose this encyclopaedia, as you call it, "'is in the shop at Tottenham Court Road?' "'Oh, no, sir.' Each volume of the encyclopaedia is self-locking. These books contain the real secret of our business, and they are kept in the safe at Mr. Summertree's house in Park Lane. Take Lord Semptum's account, for instance. You will find in faint figures under a certain date, 102. If you turn to page 102 of the encyclopaedia for that year, you will then see a list of what Lord Semptum has bought, and the prices he was charged for them. "'It is really a very simple matter. "'If you will allow me to use your telephone for a moment, "'I will ask Mr. Summertrees, who has not yet begun dinner, "'to bring with him here the volume for 1893, "'and within a quarter of an hour you will be perfectly satisfied "'that everything is quite legitimate. "'I confess that the young man's naturalness and confidence staggered me, "'the more so as I saw by the sarcastic smile on Hale's lips "'that he did not believe a single word spoken.' A portable telephone stood on the table, and as Macpherson finished his explanation, he reached over and drew it towards him. Then Spencer Hale interfered. "'Excuse me,' he said. "'I'll do the telephoning. What is the call number of Mr. Summertrees?' "'140, Hyde Park.' Hale at once called up Central, and presently was answered from Park Lane. We heard him say, "'Is this the residence of Mr. Summertrees?' "'Oh, is that you, Podgers? "'Is Mr. Summertrees in?' "'Very well. This is Hale. "'I'm in Valmont's flat. "'Imperial Flats, you know. "'Yes, where you went with me the other day. "'Very well. 
"'Go to Mr. Summertrees and say to him that Mr. Macpherson wants the Encyclopedia for 1893. "'Do you get that?' "'Yes, Encyclopedia. "'Oh, he'll understand what it is. "'Mr. Macpherson. "'No, don't mention my name at all. "'Just say Mr. Macpherson wants the Encyclopedia for the year 1893, "'and that you are to bring it.' "'Yes, you may tell him that Mr. Macpherson is at Imperial Flats, "'but don't mention my name at all.' "'Exactly. "'As soon as he gives you the book, "'get into a cab and come here as quickly as possible with it. "'If Summertrees doesn't want to let the book go, "'then tell him to come with you. "'If he won't do that, place him under arrest "'and bring both him and the book here. "'All right, be as quick as you can. "'We're waiting.' Macpherson made no protest against Hale's use of the telephone. He merely sat back in his chair with a resigned expression on his face, which, if painted on canvas, might have been entitled The Falsely Accused. When Hale rang off, Macpherson said, "'Of course, you know your own business best, but if your man arrests Summertrees, he'll make you the laughing stock of London. There is such a thing as unjustifiable arrest, as well as getting money under false pretenses.' "'and Mr. Summertrees is not the man to forgive an insult. "'And then, if you will allow me to say so, "'the more I think over your absent-minded theory, "'the more absolutely grotesque it seems. "'And if the case ever gets into the newspapers, "'I'm sure, Mr. Hale, "'you'll experience an uncomfortable half-hour "'with your chiefs at Scotland Yard.' "'I'll take the risk of that, thank you,' said Hale, stubbornly. "'Am I to consider myself under arrest?' inquired the young man. "'No, sir.' "'Then, if you will pardon me, I shall withdraw. "'Mr. Summertrees will show you everything you wish to see in his books, "'and can explain his business much more capably than I, "'because he knows more about it. "'Therefore, gentlemen, I bid you good-night.' "'No, you don't. Not just yet a while,' exclaimed Hale, "'rising to his feet simultaneously with the young man. "'Then I am under arrest,' protested Macpherson. "'You're not going to leave this room until Podgers brings that book.' "'Oh, very well,' and he sat down again. "'And now, as talking is dry work, I set out something to drink, "'a box of cigars and a box of cigarettes. "'Hale mixed his favourite brew, but Macpherson, shunning the wine of his country, "'contented himself with a glass of plain mineral water and lit a cigarette.' Then he awoke my high regard by saying pleasantly, as if nothing had happened, "'While we are waiting, Monsieur Valmont, may I remind you that you owe me five shillings?' I laughed, took the coin from my pocket, and paid him, whereupon he thanked me. "'Are you connected with Scotland Yard, Monsieur Valmont?' asked Macpherson, with the air of a man trying to make conversation to bridge over a tedious interval. But before I could reply, Hale blurted out, "'Not likely!' "'You have no official standing as a detective, then, Monsieur Valmont?' "'None whatever,' I replied quickly, thus getting in my oar ahead of Hale. "'This is a loss to our country,' pursued this admirable young man with evident sincerity. "'I began to see I could make a good deal of so clever a fellow if he came under my tuition. "'The blunders of our police,' he went on, "'are something deplorable. "'If they would but take lessons in strategy, say, from France,' "'Their unpleasant duties would be so much more acceptably performed "'with much less discomfort to their victims.' "'France!' snorted Hale in derision. "'Why, they call a man guilty there until he's proven innocent.' 
"'Yes, Mr. Hale, and the same seems to be the case in Imperial Flats. "'You have quite made up your mind that Mr. Summertrees is guilty, "'and will not be content until he proves his innocence. "'I venture to predict that you will hear from him before long "'in a manner that may astonish you.' "'Hale grunted and looked at his watch. "'The minutes passed very slowly as we sat there smoking, "'and at last even I began to get uneasy.' Macpherson, seeing our anxiety, said that when he came in, the fog was almost as thick as it had been the week before, and that there might be some difficulty in getting a cab. Just as he was speaking, the door was unlocked from the outside, and Podgers entered, bearing a thick volume in his hand. This he gave to his superior, who turned over its pages in amazement, and then looked at the back, crying, "'Encyclopedia of Sport!' "'1893. What sort of a joke is this, Mr. Macpherson?' There was a pained look on Mr. Macpherson's face as he reached forward and took the book. He said with a sigh, "'If you had allowed me to telephone, Mr. Hale, I should have made it perfectly plain to Summertrees what was wanted. I might have known this mistake was liable to occur. There is an increasing demand for out-of-date books of sport, and no doubt Mr. Summertrees thought this was what I meant.' "'There is nothing for it but to send your man back to Park Lane "'and tell Mr. Summertrees that what we want "'is the locked volume of accounts for 1893, "'which we call the Encyclopedia. "'Allow me to write an order that will bring it. "'Oh, I'll show you what I've written before your man takes it,' "'he said, as Hale stood ready to look over his shoulder. "'On my note-paper he dashed off a request such as he had outlined, "'and handed it to Hale, who read it, and gave it to Podgers. "'Take that to Summertrees, and get back as quickly as possible. "'Have you a cab at the door?' Uh, "'Yes, sir. Is it foggy outside?' "'Not so much, sir, as it was an hour ago. "'No difficulty about the traffic now, sir. "'Very well, get back as soon as you can.' "'Podgers saluted, and left with the book under his arm. "'Again the door was locked, "'and again we sat smoking in silence "'until the stillness was broken by the tinkle of the telephone.' "'Hale put the receiver to his ear. "'Yes, this is Imperial Flats. "'Yes, Valmont. "'Oh, yes, Macpherson is here. "'What? "'Out of what? "'Can't hear you. "'Out of print? "'What, the encyclopedia's out of print? "'Who is that speaking? "'Dr. Willoughby. "'Thanks.' "'Macpherson rose as if he would go to the telephone.' "'but instead, and he acted so quietly "'that I did not notice what he was doing "'until the thing was done, "'he picked up the sheet which he called his visiting list "'and, walking quite without haste, "'held it in the glowing coals of the fireplace "'until it disappeared in a flash of flame up the chimney. "'I sprang to my feet, indignant, "'but too late to make even a motion "'towards saving the sheet. "'Macpherson regarded us both "'with that self-deprecatory smile "'which had several times lighted up his face.' "'How dared you burn that sheet?' I demanded. "'Because, Monsieur Valmont, it did not belong to you. "'Because you do not belong to Scotland Yard. "'Because you stole it. "'Because you had no right to it. "'And because you have no official standing in this country. "'If it had been in Mr. Hale's possession, "'I should not have dared, as you put it, to destroy the sheet. "'But as this sheet was abstracted from my master's premises by you, "'an entirely unauthorised person,' whom he would have been justified in shooting dead if he had found you housebreaking, and you had resisted him on his discovery, I took the liberty of destroying the document. I have always held that these sheets should not have been kept, 
for, as has been the case, if they fell under the scrutiny of so intelligent a person as Eugene Valmont, improper inferences might have been drawn. Mr. Summertrees, however, persisted in keeping them, but made this concession, that if I ever telegraphed him, or telephoned him the word encyclopedia, he would at once burn these records, and he, for his part, was to telegraph or telephone to me, the encyclopedia is out of print, whereupon I would know that he had succeeded. Now, gentlemen, open this door, which will save me the trouble of forcing it, either put me formally under arrest, or cease to restrict my liberty. I am very much obliged to Mr. Hale for telephoning, and I have made no protest to so gallant a host as Monsieur Valmont is, because of the locked door. However, the farce is now terminated. The proceedings I have sat through were entirely illegal, and if you will pardon me, Mr. Hale, they have been a little too French to go down here in old England, or to make a report in the newspapers that would be quite satisfactory to your chiefs. I demand either my formal arrest, or the unlocking of that door. In silence I pressed a button, and my man threw open the door. Macpherson walked to the threshold, paused, and looked back at Spencer Hale, who sat there silent as a sphinx. "'Good evening, Mr. Hale.' There being no reply, he turned to me with the same ingratiating smile. "'Good evening, Monsieur Eugène Valmont,' he said. "'I shall give myself the pleasure of calling next Wednesday at six for my five shillings.'" End of chapter 5